Oh, let's do something here. I'm going to do something a little different. I came in knowing what I was going to talk about, and it may shift. So just with me, just say, Holy Spirit, what we want is you. What we want is your word. What we want is your word. You are the word. In the beginning was the word. It's Jesus. It's not in the beginning was the Bible. It's in the beginning was the word. He's Jesus, the word of God. Lord, it's, your, it's your, that manifest presence of the Word, that living, active Word. Bless you, Lord. I feel like we're going to need to do some ministry here today. Um, we always do, but I feel like there's something deeper that we need to do here today. Um, So I want to set this up. I am going to change gears. I'm going to set this up with a little bit out of the word, and then we're going to go after it. And just so you know what the target is, the target is the empowerment of people. That's the target this morning. It's the empowerment, the equipping, the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why we're called Acts 2 Church. (laughs) It's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came on people. And I believe people who either have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit or who have been, who need another filling of it, are going to get it today. Does this sound good to you guys? We need it. We need it. We are not going to be a true representation of Jesus in the earth until we have the fullness of the Spirit manifest on top of us, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, Lord. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Sorry for you guys out there on the projection. I'm probably not going to be using anything that you loaded. Ephesians 6? That's not what I meant. I meant Romans 6. I'm going to try to get it together here, okay? Turn to Romans 6. I was just testing you, that's all. Oh, yeah. I can feel this already. All right. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read a couple of things. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now this is all coming off of a chapter, last few chapters, where he's laying out this wonderful doctrinal dissertation on the work of Jesus, the fullness of him. Christ died, and if Christ died, all died. This wonderful, beautiful grace entering into the picture. It's a wonderful thing. And he says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin was evident and flourishing, grace came in and went super and above beyond that. That's the language. But in society, in the church even, there's this thing creeping in that we can have sin going on and we can just go whatever because grace abounds. It's so unfortunate that it's like that because what that, what that reveals is we don't understand what grace is at all. Right. Grace is not a cover for sin. It is a resource for righteousness. 
It's a divine empowerment directly from heaven. It doesn't mean that we can get grace and then keep on sinning. It means then we get grace and we can look at sin and go, I'm no longer required to live like that. I don't have to live like that. Am I being clear on this? Because I am a grace preacher, and I don't think you can over-preach grace. I don't think you can. I don't think you can over-preach it. But part of preaching and understanding grace is recognizing that it is not a cover for sin. I've been teaching school the last three years. Anybody else in here teachers? Right? I know we got a couple. And if your students are required to turn in homework or assignments, have you ever heard it said that, well, if they didn't turn it in on time, we'll give them a little grace? You ever heard that? Do you use that? Anybody know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Let me just say that that's where we get off because that's not grace. That's called mercy. That's called mercy. You don't give grace for people to do the wrong thing and say that it's okay. I know, this is, I know this is simple, but I want us to understand because grace is such an important commodity of heaven that if we misuse it, we miss out on the fuller picture. So he's saying here, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Heck no. That's my translation. <laughs> Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were, listen, baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. There is an example that needs to be given to the world around us on what life really looks like. And it's a newness of life. It's not a mundane. Jesus said, I came to bring you life and life more redundantly. No, no, that's not right. I came to bring you life and life more abundantly, right? There's a newness of life that we're baptized into. And I want to focus on this word baptized for a moment. Oh, thank God for the grace. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that they're new every morning. But understanding grace brings me into a growing, maturing position where I understand that I'm not obligated to live under sin anymore. Baptism. This picture of baptism itself. Buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Resurrection power. New life. Abundant life. Does this sound good to you guys? Okay. There's a baptism that happens. Anybody in here been baptized? Right? Let's see. We haven't done that in a while here because we don't have really a place to do it. We got, yeah, we've got the fountain out there. We just, we're still trying to work out the deal with the alligator out there. That we can just... It may be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> baptism itself is not just something that we do because it's part of the religious thing. That we do. Baptism is so important. As a matter of fact, it's so important that God, in His kindness and His mercy, He revealed it way back in Exodus. And I'm sorry, in Genesis. And when you get into Exodus, you, you guys read through Exodus, right? You understand what happened when the people of Israel, God calls Moses, says, Moses, go get my people. The plagues come. All this catastrophic stuff happens in Israel. 
And Israel is allowed to leave. Pharaoh says, you can leave now. And all they knew was that Moses had a command from the Father to go and worship him at the Mount, Mount Sinai. So when they're leaving Egypt, what happens? Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. They get to a roadblock called the Red Sea, right? Everybody's tracking with me, right? Pharaoh shows back up. Oh, were there not graves in Egypt that we could die there? We're going to die here. Just, you know how it is with the Israelites, right? Always complaining about something. What happened at that point? God says, Moses, take your rod and your hand. Power and authority. Okay? These are pictures in Old Covenant that we have. Power and authority. He says, take your rod, your staff, and your hand. Hold them over the water. And as he did that, the water parted. And the people of Israel went through it. I know this is Sunday School 101, but do you recognize that that was the picture of baptism? That that was baptism of us being delivered from bondage and a picture of them going through the water was a release and a saying, when, it go, when you go down into the water and you're buried into death, you come out in a newness of life. That's what happened in Exodus. When they go through the water, there was a baptism that happened with them. It's a picture, Old Testament picture, leading to something, a new covenant reality. Then they wander in the wilderness. They got 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They get to the end of that and they get to another river. The Jordan River. Right? You get to the Jordan River. At this point, Moses has died. And Joshua is now in charge. And something happens this time. They've got a river to cross and no way to cross it. Remember what happens this time? He says, take the priest, take the ark, go stand in the water. Remember, they didn't have the ark before. That was created in the wilderness. The presence of God, that important piece of furniture that had the presence of God resting on it. On the priest's shoulders, the priests take it. They stand in the water. As soon as they stand in the water, what happens? The water parts again. Why do we have that? Because there are two baptisms that are necessary for us as believers. There's the baptism where we're baptized into the body of Christ. We're identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You go down into the water, picture of burial. You come out, it's the picture of new life. And I love it. I, we need to baptize some people here. If you haven't been baptized, we just need to do it. We need to figure out a way to go do it because I see the most miraculous things happen when people get baptized. It's phenomenal. The presence of God showing up. I've seen people come out of the water and they just start speaking in tongues. They don't even know what they're doing. Wonderful things start to happen. But I want us to understand there are two baptisms that we have in Scripture. You guys still tracking with me, right? There's the baptism in water, but there's another baptism called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That baptism with, in the Jordan, that is the picture of them going through the Jordan, was them going into the Jordan and coming out into what? The promised land. The promised land is not an equivalent to heaven. Don't, don't try to put the picture of the promised land as an equivalent to heaven. The promised land is what we're walking in right now. Please understand that. Because if it were heaven, then Moses wouldn't have died. Because Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. It's not that he's not allowed into heaven. You see the picture. He was not allowed into the promised land. That's not heaven. The promised land is the life that we're living in now. Because remember, when they got into the land, the Lord said, I'm not going to destroy everybody in the land. I'm not going to destroy everybody in the land. Because if I do that, the beast will grow so great that you won't be able to handle it. The promised land is what we live in right now. There are troubles and battles in front of us, aren't there? 
right? There are, there are tribes that were left in the promised land that were left to, listen to this, steward the land so that when the people came to a place where they could take it, it was ready for them to take it. Now, I'm, I'm trying to bring that picture into the reality of how we live this life right now. We live in this life where there's constant fights, there's constant battles, there's constant something has to be warred after in order to achieve, right? That picture of going through the Jordan was the picture of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Turn over to John chapter 20 now. Everybody still with me? I'm putting this together as I go, so hopefully you guys can track with me here. But we're leading to something. John chapter 20, verse 19. Talking about two different baptisms here. Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that it doesn't, there's no formula for it, first of all. I want everybody to hear me clearly on this, because I'm laying some things out here, but I want to be very clear. There is no formula for being baptized with the Holy Spirit, but there is an absolute necessary that we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's a need that we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. I've had people ask me, because of certain theological backgrounds they grew up in, they believe that when you get saved, you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, can you? Absolutely, because there's no formula to it, but we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we can't just make assumptions. I had somebody ask me one time, well, Andrew, do I have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And I said, you're looking at it all wrong. You don't have to. You get to. You don't have to do anything. You get to. There's no have to about anything. It's like with giving. It's like you don't have to give. You get to give. It's it's a completely different perspective in life. So with the Holy Spirit, there is a receiving of the Holy Spirit that happens at salvation. It's called the seal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians talks about it and Corinthians talks about it. I'm not going to break that down right now, but I'm going to get to the more meaty stuff. When we get saved, there's a seal, there's a mark that is left on us that says this person does not belong to the devil, belongs to God. Have any of you ever gone into a grocery store and bought an article or an item that is so big it won't fit in the grocery bag? What do they, sometimes, what will they do with it? They'll put a sticker on it. Why do they do that? They put a sticker on it so that when you walk out the door, somebody, an employee may see that and go, oh, they've purchased that. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a sticker that gets put on you. And you walk around this planet, and Satan knows that one belongs to God, right? Everybody's tracking with me, right? But there is still an absolute necessity that we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look at this in John chapter 20, verse 19. This is the same day at evening. Now, what are you saying here? This is Sunday night. This is the day of the resurrection. It's the first Sunday night church meeting, okay? It's day, day of the resurrection at night, okay? Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now pay attention. First thing, out of the box, that Jesus says after his resurrection, when he shows up that night, he says, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. 
As he walks on the planet for the next 40 days, he talks to them about a lot of different things, but he gives them this thing called the Great Commission, right? The Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? Make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. We have this command. And he says something to them right after this, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? Everybody's still with me. Night of the resurrection comes to the disciples. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Why is he breathing on them? Why? Because everything that you see in Old Covenant is going to have an answer in the New Covenant. They're not just random facts. What did God do when he created Adam? He breathed into him. Now, the old Adam and the old Adamic nature has been dealt with through the person of Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection. We're baptized into that death. We're brought out. We're walking in the newness of life. And now... He comes and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and goes, and he breathes on him. Let me suggest to you, at that moment, man became alive again. Amen. Man became alive when God breathed on him, not just physically, but spiritually alive. Through the work of Jesus, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on him, they became alive right then. Now, I've looked through this, I've gone through the Greek, I've broken it down, I've parsed the verbs on this thing, and here's really what it means, what it says. It really means receive right now in this moment the Holy Spirit. Receive right now in this moment the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. But then he says, don't leave Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father. Is this making sense? It seems almost like he's talking two different things. It says he, got, he received the Holy Spirit, but he goes, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit that I promised you. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you just breathe on us and give us Holy Spirit? What he did was he brought the spirit back to a place of life to receive, to understand, to know. Remember what he said before he went to the cross? He goes, there's many things I want to share with you, but you can't get them. You're not going to understand them. Why? Their spirits were dead to it. That's why when Peter got the revelation and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father in heaven did. That was one of those divine moments where the spirit goes, boom, and comes down. Which, by the way, guys, this thing we do in the church of crying out for open heavens... It's already open. It's already open. Right? It opened when Jesus was baptized. Look at it in Mark. The language in Mark is really graphic. When Jesus was baptized, it says the, whole, the heavens were ripped apart, were torn apart. Heaven was open. Holy Spirit came down and landed on him. You know what? We never find any place in Scripture where they ever close. They don't. Let's don't pray for things. I know I'm throwing in a parenthetical reference here, but please bear with me. Don't start praying for things that we already have. Now, I know we do it in songs and stuff, and I'm not being nitpicky about it, but let's make sure that our, we're lining up with what Scripture is really talking about. So when he says to them that night of the resurrection, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them, everything went and came back. Their spirit man fully able to connect with the fullness of who God is. But he walks for the next 40 days, and he's saying to them, I want you to go, and I want you to do this, but don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Spirit, the power. You guys still tracking with me, right? Yes. There's two baptisms. There's the one baptism that identifies with him, death, burial, resurrection. There's another baptism that empowers us. The baptism of crossing the Jordan, the baptism that we receive with the Holy Spirit, is the power that we need in order to go into the promised land and defeat the very thing that stands in front of us. Jesus walks on the planet 40 days. 
ascends to the Father. Angels show up and ask probably one of the most stupid questions I've ever heard an angel ask. Looking at the disciples and they go, why are you staring up into heaven? Are you kidding me? Dude was God, died, rose from the dead, walked around us for 40 days, did all kinds of miracles, and he goes up into heaven and you're asking me, why am I looking up into heaven? I don't know, it's just something I think of. Maybe that doesn't hit you like that, I don't know. The next 10 days, they're waiting. They're waiting in a room. We call it the upper room. It really wasn't, but it's, up, but it's a room. They're waiting in. They're praying. You know what was happening in that 10-day period? What Jesus had promised and said he was going to do, which was come to not destroy the law and the prophets, but fulfill it, was happening. You can find it in Leviticus. Everybody tracking with me here? Jesus said, I have to fulfill the law and the prophets. I won't destroy them. I'm going to fulfill them. And not one jot, not one tittle, not one T, and not one I will be left uncrossed or dotted until everything in the law is fulfilled. When Jesus ascended to the Father on the 40th day, and you have this 10-day waiting period, you have one day, because everything in Judaism works on days, 24-hour periods, one day where he ascended. Then you've got an eight-day period where he is fulfilling the priestly uh, ordination. took eight days to do it. You can find it in Leviticus. It took eight days for it to happen. He's fulfilling that. That's nine days total. Then on the tenth day, Holy Spirit shows up. That's the day they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I'm speaking, this sounds like elementary stuff. I know you guys understand all this stuff, but I'm saying this because I want us to understand that there is a necessity for the church to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in order for it to fulfill the Great Commission. That's why he said, don't go. He said, go, but don't go until you get the Spirit. And once you get the Spirit, don't stay. (laughs) They couldn't leave until they got the empowerment to do it. They couldn't take the promised land until they had gone through the baptism the baptism with the Holy Spirit to empower them and say, now you can take the land that's in front of you. I hope this is making sense and it's connecting. I feel like I felt it during worship this morning. There is something that we need. It's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's the empowering of the Spirit in our lives. Now, some might say, well, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Catherine, I thank you so much that you even talked about that. And that was the catalyst for me. Because what was happening was your kids were getting filled with the Spirit right there. And it's marked with joy. Isn't it wonderful? It's just beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. We think that being baptized with the Holy Spirit is marked by tongues. That could not be more wrong than anything. It never says anywhere in Scripture that when you receive the Spirit, you will receive tongues. It doesn't. What does it say? Acts 1.8. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive what? Power. 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 Dunamis is what the Greek word is. It's where we get the word dynamite. You get dynamite when the Spirit comes on you. Come on, this is good news. All you guys in here like to see things blow up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at it like this. Jesus says, I get I, all authority, all authority, all exousia in the Greek. All exousia, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go, make disciples. That's authority, right? Look at it like this. If a police officer were to go out into that intersection right there at Cape Cod Lane and 434 and stand there and put his hand up to cars coming down the street, 
Does he have the authority to do that? To tell them to stop? But is his hand, does, it, his, does his hand have the capability of making that car stop? No, but he carries something that will. His gun. His dunamis. His badge says he has the authority. His gun says he's got the power. Why do you think whenever somebody gets taken out of a position as an officer, you've seen the police TV shows, right? You know what I'm talking about? Turn in your badge, turn in your gun. Why? It's the authority and the power. When Moses put his staff and his hand out there, that was authority, right? That he had, the staff represented that, that right there, his authority. When the ark went through it, it was the power. It was the power of God. It rested right on the ark. There is a difference between just regular salvation, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. How many in here have, say, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? I know. Here's the good thing. We get to do it again and again. Do you know why? Because Ephesians 5 tells me that. It tells me that be continually filled. The word, again, better translated, would actually read like this. It doesn't make sense in English, but Ephesians 5.18 would actually say this. If it were translated according to what the Greek verb tense would say, it would say, be being continually filled. In other words, right now, an ongoing process of filling. So if we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we get to be baptized again. It's wonderful. And what do you get when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Do you get tongues? Maybe. I don't know. You get power. You get dunamis is what you get. I would much rather have that than somebody tell me, well, you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. If you've ever heard that, I'm sorry to tell you that's wrong. Because what that does is that forces people to go, well, and I'm not baptized because I'm not speaking in a tongue. Speaking in tongues. I've seen people get baptized in the Spirit when we're praying for them. I've seen people get baptized in the Spirit when we're in worship. I've seen people get baptized in the Spirit when they come up out of the water and they've been baptized in water. I've seen, well, not seen. I've heard of people getting baptized in the shower, baptized in the Spirit in the shower. Didn't see it, heard of it. I know personally of people who got baptized in the Spirit. We've prayed, asked for them, you know, released the power, the fullness of God to be released on an individual. And they're going, I don't know what happened. Nothing really happened. I didn't feel anything. The next day, they're going to work. And in the car, on the way to work, they feel the power come on them. They start sweating. They start speaking in tongues. They feel this, like, immense presence of God. And it's like, well, you know, he's funny like that. He's got another name called Jehovah Trickster. <laughs> yeah, you think I made that up? He thinks I made that up. <laughs> Jehovah Trickster. I know that he gives things to us when we need it, but there is something about us having this attitude of waiting and expectation that goes, there is something that I need. So how many in here have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Or you just don't know? Everybody? Couple? One? Oh, wow, man, this could be a really good day for you. It's okay. This is not a... Uh, Check on your spiritual maturity. It has nothing to do with that. Again, you don't have to do anything. You get to do it. But I, I believe what we need to do. Is this making sense this morning? Am I connecting some dots here? There's some old covenant stuff that is bringing us into, showing us, revealing us some new covenant realities. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I have this growing expectation inside of me that God wants to release something. And I've been feeling it since Easter. I don't know what it is. It's just been fun. It's been happy. I feel it in my house. It's, it's, there's, something just, there's something very peaceful, 
but yet bringing this thing of anticipation up higher and higher inside of me. I'm just anticipating something really good. What is it? I don't know. I don't really know what it is, but I just know whenever he shows up, something really awesome happens. (laughs) 